Hello and welcome to the Classroom Critics Podcast, a podcast by teachers who just love film, love to talk about film, and tonight I want to talk about a, uh, a comedy. This is Spinal Tap, 1984, directed by Rob Reiner, starring Christopher Guest, Harry Shearer, Michael McKean. Michael McKean, that's right. And um, personally, I, I just think it's one of the funniest movies of all time. Uh, I just can watch it over and over again and laugh. Every single time, it just doesn't lose anything for me. Um, a lot of comedies, I think, just suffer from repeated viewings. Um, you know, it gets less funny. Even the funniest of comedies, sometimes they just, you know, they um, they get a little stale. But for some reason, it's not the case with uh, this is Battle Tap. What do you think? Absolutely agree. Every time I see it, uh, I see things that I never saw before because mm-hmm. the jokes aren't broadcast or set up. They're just kind of embedded in the natural course of the dialogue and so they just they just reveal themselves you know because it doesn't I think some scenes do but it usually doesn't have the natural rhythms of a comedy uh, and so you're just constantly being surprised by something that strikes you funny upon repeated viewings that you didn't pick up on before it was so new this idea of the rockumentary uh, that came out at that time that uh, it's so new so familiar so fresh uh, and these guys were completely on their game when they when they wrote it, all all four of them wrote uh, wrote the picture. So it's that you know, they knew the the industry. I think mm-hmm. it's interesting you say rockumentary because the label that's often applied to a movie like this is mockumentary. Yeah. And Christopher Guest uh, has later said, who went you know who has gone on to make films of similar formats. Uh, he sort of um, he doesn't like the label mockumentary because he doesn't believe that the subjects are being mocked. Uh, and if they were mocking the subjects, uh, the films wouldn't be nearly as effective. Um, I think the subjects are treated, the characters are treated with a certain um, respect mm-hmm. and, and love. I mean, they're obviously meant to make us laugh and, and often are made to look ridiculous, but um, I don't think it's, a, it's a, a mocking that we're seeing. No, I'd agree. I agree. I don't think it is. I think uh, I think Rob Reiner's trying to do something interesting with a certain kind of form with film, and it just did lend itself very well to that kind of documentary aspect. Here are these you know guys who have seen better days, and they're they're trying desperately to be relevant, and what we find out is that they are just not relevant, um, <laughs> and in their irrelevancy, they become somehow relevant through the through the. Rockumentary, I suppose. Right, right. I'm wondering if, though, the term isn't, and, and again, I'm not going to disagree with Christopher Guest. I admire yeah. his work, but I think the term is that they're they're actually making fun of documentaries, so they're mocking the documentary, not the subject. Um, arguably, sure, sure. Um, and we, you mentioned Andrew, the um, the script and, and the four men uh, as writers, uh, Reiner, Scherer, Guest, and oh, I can't. McKeon. 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 Um, keeps slipping my mind. Uh, originally, they wanted to have the entire cast as uh, listed as the, the the writers of the script. I didn't know that, really. Yeah, because there really wasn't a script. Yeah. Uh, they originally uh, they tried to sit down and write a script, but they realized that what they wanted to get across would not be um, it wouldn't happen through a, a typical structured script. So they wanted. You know, to have a, a concept, a rough idea, and, you know, uh, of course they sort of, 
um, wrote their own characters mm -hmm. and just put it all in motion, and it's it's all improv. I, from what I've read, um, every moment is improv, uh, at least in terms of the lines. You know, they, 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 it wasn't scripted. That's interesting. I didn't realize that um, that, that it was in, improv in, in that sense. But now that you say that, it makes it makes a great deal of sense. It's uh, you know, it's curb your enthusiasm before curb your enthusiasm. That's right, right. Um, so I guess they they knew what the scene was going to be, where the scene had to you know where it started, yeah. and where they needed to go, and. Um, I guess there were certain, perhaps, points that they had to, you know, get across in, in a particular scene, uh, and they had to make sure that they weren't going to contradict yeah. other scenes with contradictory information. But other than that, uh, it's it's improv, and you can see the freshness in in every every scene. But as improv, you, you can definitely see how. I guess when you when you watch people doing improv that that aren't very good at it, mm -hmm. there's a lot of, of stepping on each other. There's a lot of you know you throw a concept out and the other person just fights it instead of going. Yeah. At it. And these guys are pros and they just you know they'll throw a concept out and you can just kind of see they start riffing on it and adding to it, but never pulling the rug out from what somebody right. else is doing. Mm -hmm. It's very much that ensemble cast. Uh, yep. Even Reiner is, has that has that terrific role in it, and. You know, it's hard to take him seriously at the beginning because he is kind of—he's got that smirk on his face, <laughs> introducing himself and and talking about Spinal Tap and where they came from and where they're going and right. and, and everything like that. It's just—it's—it's um, it's really it's kind of striking how how serious it is for a comedy. Uh, and, and how one could look at it serious in, well, in a serious dead, way. Deadpan. Deadpan, totally. yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I guess in, I read, too, where um, first Ozzy Osbourne was shown it with a group of people. And he didn't <laughs> understand, not that Ozzy is, you know, bellwether of intellectualism, but he, he was unaware that it was a comedy. And I guess uh, The Edge from U2 watched it and said that he didn't think it was funny because it was too real. Too real. <laughs> <laughs> And now, of course, all of the bands, every time they have a moment, they call it the Spinal Tap moment, right? You know, hello Cleveland as they're looking for the stage. They lived it. They lived it. And, you know, in their defense, um, many, many just regular viewers, you know, my, my father told me, you know, that when he saw it back in the day that um, it took him, you know, 20 minutes or so to realize that, all right, this, this isn't a real band. Uh, and that's a testament to the, the writing and the performance because yeah. um, they are very restrained. You know, they don't go over that line. Um, you know, they, they play it very, very straight. And, you, you know, it doesn't kind of go over that line into farce, does it? I mean, I can't think of a single false moment. In it no. Really. Where I think, you know, some, some other maybe lesser directors and performers kind of aren't able to do um, a documentary like this, a uh, mockumentary like this, because they, they can't help but go over that line. And, I, you know, I think I love Christopher Guest's subsequent, wor uh, subsequent work. Yeah. But I do think in some of his uh, films um, that he does from time to time sort of go date, you know, a little bit over that line. Like, for example, um, A Mighty Wind, which I love, I think at the end when, you know, the, um, if you've ever seen it, um, mm -hmm. the sex change uh, <laughs> yeah. piece of that. I think that sort of kind of goes over that line that's usually pretty restrained. It's funny. It's, it's funny, yeah. But, um, but I think Spinal Tap just is extremely um, it's, it's disciplined and they are very deadpan most of and, and I don't think any of his other films, as much as I do like them, I don't think they, they 
I don't think they stand up to Spinal Tap. Um, at least for me, they don't. No, I, don't, I agree. Um, we can, we always compare those later films um, to Spinal Tap. Yep. It's tough to get. I mean, it's tough to get that right. You know, I mean, you're dealing. I'm sure the amount of footage that they end yep. up with after whatever a couple months of shooting, it just it comes down to um, you know, it's obviously a an editing uh, job that has to be done and. You, you got to capture lightning in a bottle. And hopefully, get it right. So, what mu- what must have been you know left on the on the cutting room floor has got to be incredible. I don't know if there's a DVD out with there with is. you know ec- there are so with extra. For years, yeah, uh, fans have been asking for it. And finally, I don't know when it was. Must have been the late '90s or something, early 2000s. The uh, DVD came out with a bunch of uh, edited uh, footage that was edited out. Yeah, and it. it the edited footage, uh, the edited out footage is excellent. Too, yeah, you know, so they just, they're just good. They're mad. Yeah, they're mad. even impromptu interviews with, um, you know, the the members of Spinal Tap. I mean, it's all incredible stuff. Yeah, um, you know, YouTube is filled with a bunch of Spinal Tap footage and performances, and it, it's just, it's. I mean, they're very talented. Men. Yeah, those they're very talented actors. They, and as you said, Walt. I mean, not everyone can do. Improv and um, they're good. Well, you see, and again, I'm not going to steer off into improv too much, but but when you talk, when you watch a show like Whose Line Is It Anyway, where yeah. those guys are very good, but they're also editing down the best moments. Whereas I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that falls flat. Yeah, uh, with that. So, and, and I'm sure there's outtakes too that fell flat here, but for the most part, they have the luxury of putting it into uh, a story, which which is another level on which this film works. It does tell a story, right? and you care about the characters and what happens to them. So, so here's a question. What are some of your favorite, um, you know, I, I, I'm going to still call it a mockumentary, even though Christopher Guest, <laughs> it's just, it's the only thing I can really think of to label, label it as, but um, as a satire piece, what are some of the scenes or references to real... Uh, rock, um, <laughs> you know, history that you find amusing, you know, because you can, every fil- every moment of this film you can point to something in rock history and say this is what it's mocking or um, satirizing. I, I think for me, one of the ones that stands out is when they're being interviewed, and, and, and both uh, uh, Christopher Guest and, and, and Michael McKean have the sores on their lips, <laughs> you know. And it's that typical rock star, you know, when they're on tour, they're they're catching every kind of venereal disease imaginable, and you know, it's it's hilarious because the, the reporter doesn't mention it at all, you know, who's interviewing them, and and yet it's so striking to see it. Yeah, um, it's you know, it, they're not necessarily making fun of just the the, the kind of rock star image but the whole idea of that abandonment of, yes. of uh, you know um, discretion and uh, common sense I suppose and just one cool thing about that as I was saying earlier you know um, the, the scene is not about the you know the, the sores yeah. on the mouth it's just it's just there you know yeah. I mean, uh, in, in other other filmmakers might make that the scene yeah but it's just a detail that they have that just makes it funny the fact that they passed around um a groupie yeah. or something, you know, the same groupie. <laughs> and one might have missed that if if, if the viewer's not paying attention at first. <laughs> um, and, and now I can't help but see it because I know it's there. So I, I'm looking for it every time. Sure. Yeah. 
There's so many. I mean, I know, for example, the Stonehenge incident was sort of making fun of, of a Led Zeppelin incident and yeah. the pretentiousness. But there, there's a moment for me, if you're watching the end credits and they're talking and they ask the, the, the four guys or the three guys, what would you do if you weren't a rock star? And uh, I just remember Christopher Guest's character says that he would work in a, in a hat shop or, or in retail. And his whole take is, you know, he has the, the, the words of retail stories. Go, oh, you want that in black? Uh, oh, we're all out of that. And, and that's his, you know, version of what the real world yeah. is. And, and I think that just, you, you see so many of these actors, or not actors, sorry, rock stars that were, you know, interviewed at the height of their fame and their pretentiousness is so apparent, their, their shallowness. And even somebody like, if you watch early interviews with someone you know as, as awesome as Bob Dylan was, uh, he was so um, dismissive of the press and yet so embracing of it at the same time, that duality. Um, and, and so I think they kind of capture that that element that you know people are listening to what we have to say, but in the case of Spinal Tap, they don't have much to say. <laughs> uh, you know, Dylan obviously did, but but yeah. you can still see that I think. And so the whole thing is just kind of an ongoing philosophy, not so much a single joke. Yeah. But these guys are, are they? I really think they believe they have something to say, <laughs> that they have something important they take to contribute. Very seriously. They're artists in their own minds. Yeah. They, uh, you know, I think they're. Their lack of self-awareness is a major ingredient in the comedy, you know. And um, yeah, I mean, I think it goes. It, it's sort of a look at, um, you know, a satirization of, um, you know, in the '70s where rock really started yeah. taking itself way too seriously. You know, um, you have these rock epics, um, you know, like forgive, forgive us listeners for mentioning this, but like the, you know, like the Moody Blues, which you know, I, I mm-hmm. think they're they're fine, but. You know, they have these rock anthems that go on. Like, if, if you listen to the middle of uh, the album cut of Nights in White Satin. Yeah. Monologue? Know, yeah. You know, stuff like that, you know. Which, you know, hey, it doesn't mean you can't like it. It's, it's fine. But this is sort of um, poking fun at that whole yeah. thing, you know. Um, for me, I really love I think it was extremely well done when they show the... Uh, the archival footage of themselves in the 60s. Yeah. Starting with... Uh, um, what the heck were they... What were they originally? The, the, the original... Tem- the Thamesman. The, the, yeah, the Thamesman. <laughs> yeah, the Thamesman. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, just the name itself is hilarious. It's, yeah. it's very in line with group names of that of that time. Jerry and the Pacemaker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and song, you know, the song that they're singing is Give Me Some Money. Which, you know, I think every band at that time in history had a song about... Money, money, yeah, like, you know, and um, you sound like the Kinks in that in that early early Kinks, yeah. That. The nasally sing, yeah, sing, um, and then they obviously go on to uh, you know their psychedelic period. <laughs> Listen to the Flower People, yeah, <laughs> Harry Shear, <laughs> yes, we love you, right? And they, you know, and they're talking about it in the, in the interview, and again, it's just the whole self-important thing. You know, the world was changing in those times, and. Uh, you know, they, they probably, you know, they, they thought they were actually creating this, this great anthem yeah. that spoke to world peace. And in uh, just the way the actual footage is done, just, I mean, just as a technical um, note here, it really looks like 60s footage. Yeah. Uh, the, the production value, you know, if you ever watch some of the, the film from back then, you know, on these, these TV shows, whatever it might be, you know, and they'll sometimes have these really cheesy effects where yeah. they have like, uh, you know, where it has like six of them, like and like kind of like kaleidoscope kind of thing going around. And back then, it might have blew, might have blown people's minds, but now it's like, 
so bad. And it has what's funny is it has it has a Nigel. Uh, there's like a sitar solo, which obviously is a <laughs> yeah is a nudge at the Beatles at that time or whoever was using sitars. Uh, and Nigel is is a sitar solo, and Nigel is sitting there. There is no sitar. Yeah, he's got a guitar. I noticed that. Yeah, <laughs> which is you know if you think of um, shows back then, like British shows, for example, of um, oh, what the heck's it called? But you. They they would um, they would lips you know they would lip sync they would play they would mi- um, mime a track yeah you know and that's just an example of that but and then the drummers dying <laughs> all the drummers <laughs> choking on vomit which is not, not his own vomit not his own vomit <laughs> right yeah you can't spontaneously stuff. combust uh, exactly <laughs> you mentioned though because the other songs but one of the things I like is that there's a, a rich backstory to these guys there's an elegiac tone to a lot of it and so when you talk about their early career and then several times later they're mentioning for example when, when it looks like the band's going to break up they said remember we can do those things we wanted to do we were going to write that Jack the Ripper musical Saucy Jack <laughs> Saucy Jack uh, yeah. and they, or they, they go back and they, they revisit an old song they had sung a couple of times like, you know, yeah. very, again a la Beatles with, yeah. um, with one of their early pieces and so I guess the, there's a life to the band beyond the documentary that, that comes through and, and just adds a uh, a tone to it, a resonance. You mentioned uh, the Jack the Ripper musical. Uh, I think that's just hilarious. It's just it's just a moment in the movie, but they they have these backstories in their head, and so you know whatever. Twenty years later, uh, you can see his interview on YouTube. Um, Harry, I'm using air quotes here. Um, Derek Smalls is interviewed interviewed and asked about what about that Jack the Ripper musical? Whatever happened, and he goes on and on about how you know they were they were writing it, but they they kept um, hitting these brick walls because when it, when you get down to it, um, there are like whatever thirty different theories as to who Jack the Ripper was, <laughs> and they they didn't know what storyline to go yeah <laughs> to go with. It's not their fault. It's the fact that no one discovered who Jack the Ripper was. Right, you know? and, they, and they said if Scotland Yard would only solve this thing, they had no problem with their druids. Yeah. Who were they? What were they doing? <laughs> but you, you mentioned those scenes that that are funny, and, and the, the, you know the the jazz improv that nobody got. They're playing to a, a half-empty crowd, I think, <laughs> at an amusement park. You know, yeah, puppet um, show. Puppet yeah, show. Pup, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> You, you put know. the puppets first when you think these puppets had spinal tap. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and, then, and there you have um, Janine. Is that her name? Yeah. There, you know that's the dynamic that has occurred in many bands over yeah. the years. Probably most famously with the Beatles. Yeah. You have a um, uh, significant other coming in and uh, sort of elbowing her way, or you know, and the whole cliche of. A band breaking up over <laughs> a woman. All right, and you, one that came to mind that, that makes me laugh every time because you know it's a, it's a knock at Jimmy Page, I guess, who who played his guitar with a bass violin. bow, oh, and he man. plays the guitar with the violin. But if you watch the scene, he's he's playing with the violin and he stops and he tunes the violin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just it doesn't end every every scene is fantastic. I mean, yeah. when you're watching this film, is there ever a scene where you yeah. say? Uh, I mean, that you feel like you want to fast forward. Where, where, you know, you know what? You see some other comedies, and you, you say to yourself, oh, "I just, I'm, I just want to get to the funny scene, yeah. you know, or the funnier scene." And, but this one is just—it's one after the other. 
and it's just hilarious. It, it's you know, it's not as slickly packaged as say the Princess Bride right. or, or something or Monty Python, which which is almost an entire film now. It's, it's an entire film made of quotations. Yeah, people will follow you around shouting. But but this it, it's it's so eminently quotable, but. Uh, it doesn't play like that. It plays far more organically. Yeah, exactly. Not to, I mean, the documentary feel is superb. You know, I mean, it's first of all, it's shot on. I mean, I, I don't know if it's for certain, but it's, it appears it's, it's shot on sixteen millimeter yeah. rather than thirty-five. So it has that, um, you know, that lesser quality feel to it, grainier, grainier uh, look to it, and the, you know, the, a lot of handheld stuff going on and. Uh, it just—it feels like an actual documentary. Was this Rob Reiner's first film? Uh, I don't think so. I think he had. Uh, I'm not sure. I think he was uh, had already had some in the books. I do have to look that up. I mean, that's hmm. a good question. Good question. Yeah. I want to return to a point you made earlier about the, where you know the difference here because uh, you had referred to it as a satire, uh, but I, I think I'm going I'm to label it more as a parody uh, in that. But you also mentioned why because I think the satire. Um, criticizes its subject solely, it points a finger and says this is wrong, like Dr. Strangelove. Whereas I think parody, and this is the point you made, it arises out of a place of affection. Like you, you can criticize parts of you know, the pretentiousness or what have you, but it, it doesn't mask your love for the subject. These guys love love this world. Yeah. And, and, you know. Well, wouldn't we, uh, parody, doesn't it sort of hold the mirror up to something very specific? Like for example, Young Frankenstein would be a parody because it's clearly um, referencing a very specific thing. But it would be satire if if the story was sort of a all-encompassing um, gothic literature. That, that's that's my understanding of, of parody. But feel free to uh, go on Facebook and uh, and, <laughs> and chime in. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I think this is um, it's not necessarily. Like for example, I would say the Ruddles is a parody. Yeah, yeah, because it's it's clearly the beat. It's clearly um, you know targeting the Beatles. Whereas if it was a if it, if it did something else, let's say um, didn't target something specific, but sort of opened it up to all '60s bands, then I would. I, that's that's my understanding of, of satire versus parody. But I always thought it was more that it was just a, the satire points out uh, hypocrisy. It's more high-minded. Yeah, it's like saying this is a wrong that needs to be looked at. But since you know you're not going to listen to me if I'm serious or angry, I'll be I'll be humorous. Yeah. Um, and again, again, it's arguable. But I, I, to me, that's what it is. I look at a, some of the parodies that work for me. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen Galaxy Quest. It's a uh, it, it, it's it makes fun of but loves Star Trek. In a sense, it's actually it's a pretty funny film, but it's not it's not got a lot beyond that. It's not trying to change the world. I don't think Spinal Tap is either. Yeah. I think uh, I think it's just saying you know we're gonna we're gonna criticize some of this. But we're also deeply affectionate for it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. For me, I, I do find these characters very likable. You know, it's not one of these films where you sort of uh, I don't know. It, Pointing your finger at these characters, saying, you know, um, you know, you would, you. I mean, obviously they're idiotic and, and they're um, buffoons on some level, but you do, you can't help but, but like them, you yeah. know, or um, you're, you're, you're rooting for them. And you're, yeah, you feel for them, especially in that one scene when uh, um, Howard Hessman is that his name who comes in and you know he gets Ian's name wrong, uh, yeah. and and you know there's it's it's almost 
uncomfortably awkward at that moment yeah. because we know people like that who have who have sort of they were friends at one time or acquaintances and one becomes more famous than the other and yeah, I'm trying to think of that, of that scene. Um, they're in the hotel and they're trying to get a room and only one was reserved, one room for all of them. Right. Um, and uh, Ian wants to stop Howard Hesman's character and talk to him and says, um, thanks, but we're going to go yes. wait in the lobby. <laughs> we're going to go wait for the yeah. bus. <laughs> we're going to wait for the bus. He yeah. calls him, he calls him uh, Liam, I think. Yeah, Liam. Liam. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, but it, it is, you know, there, there, there's a lot of truth to that, which I think makes the comedy satirical in, in, in that sense that you've been suggesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very true. It's very real stuff. And there's another moment similar to that where they're listening to the radio. They're all sitting around a hotel room, I think, and listening to radio, and one of their old songs come on, and they're all fondly reminiscing about the song. And then when it ends and the, the uh, DJ starts mocking them, they're in the dustbin of history or the where are they now. The where are they now, yeah. Their faces drop, and they're just like, you know, it's a, an existential moment for, for yeah. them. They almost have that, that sort of Peter Frampton disease when Peter Frampton was so big and then he dropped off the face of the earth for a while. You know, it's like, what, what, what happened to him? So it is. It, it harkens back to those stadium shows of the 70s that were, that were so huge. And now all of a sudden they're, they're playing amusement parks. <laughs> there are bands like that that we all know today that were huge that are now playing those kinds of circuits um, that are smaller venues and um, trying to sell tickets. And capture, recapture the glory days. Yeah, and and my thing too with this, I love uh, their songs are as good as any yeah. <laughs> in the genre as far as it goes. I mean, yeah. there's a uh, it has all they have all the elements. They have the the tunes. They're all good musicians. They sing. Uh, yeah, and I just I like the songs. <laughs> we we wouldn't have. I don't think we wouldn't have something like Tenacious D with Jack Black uh, uh, and Kyle something or other uh, without Spinal Tap. Right. Right. So, yeah, the, the the songs are well crafted songs. Yeah. They're well written songs, they, they, and they're not they're not overtly ridiculous. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like they are they're, they're written with restraint. I mean, when you're writing uh, music for a film like this, I mean, I'm sure it's tempting just to just make it completely ridiculous and mm-hmm. and uh, mockable. But they're they're just up to that line where you can still believe that these songs would have been yeah. on an album. Um, back in the day, you know, and it, you ex- explore some of the music from that time. You know, I mean, it, it's it's funny. I mean, there's a band called uh, Grim Reaper. Mm-hmm. Um, some of you out there might know the band, uh, and they have a song called um, "See You in Hell." And uh, watch the video. Check it out on YouTube. It's it's uh, it's it's um, it's was completely honest to them you know they made this with complete sincerity and the the video opens up with like a shot of this uh this gigantic skull on stage (laughs) and the whole song is about um you know i'll see you i'll see you in hell you know i'll see you in hell my friend goes the chorus and they have another song actually called um uh another another song about hell they like to sing about hell yeah, <laughs> and, uh, Who knows? it's they, their motif, right? Yeah, it is. And so they uh, and you have Spinal Tap with a song called Hellhole, you know, and uh, yeah, it, you could believe that that song would, would would have been on an album of you know whatever Iron Maiden or something like that. Uh, the, the times they're changing. I I heard uh, the Rolling Stones "Sympathy for the Devil" on yeah. an Easy Listening Station. Wow, yeah, <laughs> shows you how far we've come. Or or back. Like, can we talk for a minute about the comedy aspect? We, we we've been doing a lot of serious films. 
Uh, and I know that, uh, Bill, you wanted uh, specifically to go through the, the AFI's top 100 films. And, and you know, we've had, uh, this is, I think, our second detour, arguably, with, you know, The Room being the first. And now we have Spinal Tap. But what do you make of that? Why aren't more comedies taken as seriously as, as the dramas? That's a great question. Um, Woody Allen once said that comedy is a deterrent, but drama confronts, mm. um, which is interesting. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, in terms of dealing with life, yeah. uh, life's truths, um, comedy confronts, at least if it's important comedy, it confronts truths, but sort of does it in a, well, you know, obviously lighthearted way that sort of deflects it. Um, in the end, it deflects it. You know, confronts it, yeah. then deflects it, I guess. Um, but drama, sort of, the, 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 the final word with, with a lot of heavy drama is, you know, um, the universe is, the universe hates you. Yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. But um, it's kind of like a two, two ends of the spectrum there. But uh, he, he did say, Woody Allen once said that if, if he was given the choice, do, would you want to be a great comic writer or a great dramatist? Mm -hmm. He would choose drama, but he says, I just so happen to have the gift of comedy, Yeah, but I would rather confront in a, mm -hmm. a, a realist, uh, dead-on way. But I think that that's telling, right? Because that, that means that, at least in a way, Woody Allen doesn't take himself as seriously as if he was writing um, dramas yeah. or, or serious works and there are elements as we all know of very serious um, moments in his films and a lot of his films exactly um, I think um, first of all I, I don't respect an actor until I see them do comedy yeah. um, because I think it's harder there's a craft to it and a skill because you know not only are you embracing all the, the dramatic elements but the timing is there and, and the joke has to come from a place of truth where the audience is laughing with you and not at yeah. you anyone can mug um, and so uh I think that it's often overlooked because we're laughing. And, and so the skill that it takes to get us there um, is, is often underappreciated. I mean, you, you rarely, you see it, but you rarely see comedic actors winning for uh, Academy right, Awards. For, for, right, for Best Actors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's been some comedic performances that just, just have blown me away over the yeah. years. And, and I just shake my head when I see it, because I think almost any actor can tap into angst and anguish. I mean, that's a common... Um, that's a common human experience that, that you can draw upon, but not everybody's funny. Yeah. Um, and, and I've seen actors that, that finally do funny stuff that, that, that I'm relieved to see. Uh, you know, an example would be, and I'm not a huge fan of, of Tom Cruise as an actor. If I want to watch an action yeah. film, you know, I know he chooses them well and, and it fills that niche. But but when I watch a movie like Tropic Thunder, yeah, uh, where he does a comedic turn in there that's that's genuinely funny, uh, you know. That raises him a little bit in my eyes. Yeah. So, uh, but I think you're right. I think it's often overlooked. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how many films in the AFI top 100 are comedies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yet, when there's a tragedy, something happens. We we often turn to comedy. Uh, we make jokes about uh, you know a, a space shuttle blowing up. It's it's only uh, you know moments before jokes start. And comedy is tragedy plus time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something <laughs> like that. Right. Yeah. But it's a way of dealing with with those tragic elements. And yet, I don't think we still take it as seriously as as we do high drama. No. I mean, you know, you've, you've all been to funerals where people yeah. tell jokes just to try to come to terms with your own mortality, yeah. in, in a sense. And it's not necessarily inappropriate, but right. uh, I mean, 
unless you <laughs> unless you're crass about it. But I mean, yeah. I, I think that's a natural human emotion, and, and you know, we need to laugh. Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I just think drama is just taken more seriously by critics and yeah. um, in this, people within the industry. Um, for whatever reason, they it just it seems more important to a lot of people. Um, I don't necessarily believe that's true. Yeah. And um, I, I, there are probably more. There are probably more uh, great dramas in general, right, than great comedies. Yeah. Just in by sheer number. Think about this: though. if you had gone to see Vertigo on your own, you did Vertigo on the last podcast, and you're sitting in the theater by yourself, you're, you're going to enjoy that experience. Mm-hmm. It's an intimate experience of, of sort of inner emotion that the film touches on. If you go see that a comedy in the same way, you're going to laugh maybe, but you're it's but laughter is more of a shared infectious experience. If you're seeing Spinal Tap in a full theater with people yeah. laughing along with it, you're going to have a, an amazing time. I think you're right, you know. But I think of you're right. It, it is a shared experience. I think much more so than perhaps drama. Think of the, I I always think of the, uh, the the films of Blake Edwards, you know, that are that are you know the Pink Panther films yeah. or or some of his other you know they're they're terrific films. But yet they do have that degree of seriousness to them, I think, at times. Right. Yeah. Have you ever watched a comedy or shown someone that you want to see a comedy you love the first time and you spend your time watching them watch the movie sure. to see if they're enjoying the same thing? You don't do that when you show someone a drama. That's you really true. Like, yeah. you, know, you, you said you saw this uh, the other day with, with your son. With my the first son, time, yeah. Right? And, and yeah. you probably enjoyed him enjoying yeah. it. Or, or the other end, if you see, show someone a comedy you love and they just glare at it, that's... That, like, it's oh, so disappointing. It yeah. Is. Yeah. And there's a vulnerability there for, I think, letting someone see us laugh. Uh, there's, uh, you know, we are showing something of ourselves. Yeah. Tears are easy, but laughter might be hard. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, this comedy doesn't always produce laughter either. Right. You know, um, sometimes comedy, I mean, uh, I, I rarely, when I see it, like a, let's say a Shakespeare comedy, I, I rarely laugh out loud. Yeah, you know, but I, I'll say to myself inside, "Huh, that's that's amusing." <laughs> <laughs> but and, that, and I, that's the same way, you know. And I'm I'm prone to laughter, but I'm not necessarily someone who will always laugh out loud at a comedy. But this film <laughs> makes me laugh. Out this loud. is yeah, me too. Oh, this I, is for me. This is a laugh out loud oh film. Oh my gosh! Sure, absolutely. Um, but um, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a very good question as to why drama seems to be taken more seriously. I think we're just conditioned to do so for whatever reason. Um, we don't consider perhaps comedy high art in the way that we do dramas. We don't. It's bizarre. Unless you're doing something like Life is Beautiful, where you have the comedian Roberto Benigni who's doing something, but he's doing something comedic in a very serious context. Yeah, which changes the whole tone of it, um, you know. I think sometimes you got to well, there's there are f- great films on the AFI list that you can consider. You, you could consider in part a comedy, like you could consider Amadeus, um, sure, a, a kind of a dark comedy in a way. Um, but in the end, it's a serious like mm-hmm. it's like a lot of again going back to Woody Allen. In the end, most a lot of his comedies in the end are considered serious like yeah. like Annie Hall is on the AFI list yeah um, it is it would probably be categorized as comedy on in a lot of um, 
you know, video stores yeah. <laughs> when they existed. Um, but the final word when you get to the end of Eddie Hall is, it's okay, it's a sobering yeah. kind of message. Um, but then you have, you know, I think, you know, comedies are, you know, there's all different kinds, you know, there's just complete silly farces that don't have a moment of seriousness at all, you know, like whatever, Airplane or something like yeah. that. Yeah, um, all the way to Charlie Chaplin. Right. Exactly. So. So about this film then, you know, because we talk, and, and a lot of comedy is great art, this film, you're, you're never going to note it for groundbreaking cinematography, groundbreaking right. editing. Uh, so what makes it great? What do you think is the essence of the greatness of, of Spinal Tap? I mean, I know, aside from the fact that I think it pioneered a genre. Yeah. Uh, which is a reason to be great, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> when a, sometimes it's very difficult to pinpoint when, a, when comedy works, what, what makes it work. And sometimes it's really tough to quantify it. But I just think uh, if this same story was given to other actors, let's say, in the, in the, in the central roles, um, it, it probably would, a lot of it would fall flat, it wouldn't work. So I think the performances are just an absolutely huge, yeah. huge part of it. I also think it came along at the right time. Uh, MTV was exploding, so all, you know, we, we got to know rock stars in a way that we hadn't before. We could see them in our homes uh, on, on a continuous loop, so this is, this is a way for us to connect with rock in a different way than I think the United States and, and pop culture, I guess, is better, is, is used to. I think to, I, kind of getting a little bit back to what makes comedy, you know, why are comedies less uh, hailed when, in terms of the greatest yeah, films of all time? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think, I think for comedy to work, you, you ha there has to be a lot of, you have to establish a lot of common ground with the with the viewer, um, you know, and they like for example with with a stand up comedian, you know, usually a stand up comedian is, is really tr is, you know, they're, they're often telling stories or discussing anecdotes that people in the audience can relate to, and the audience is saying, oh yeah, that's funny. When that happens, it's funny, you know, and and that's a lot of that is the basis of a lot of stand up comedy. It's the basis of a lot of, yeah. uh, you know, narrative comedy. Um, so, I just think you know, with with drama, however, I think there are a lot of more universal things discussed in the film that you don't necessarily have to um, have the have this minutia in common with yeah. your audience. It, so I think it might be might be might be part of it. Um, and with this comedy, I think you know it might not work with younger audiences who I'm talking about Spinal Tap now, who may not have lived through the. The, the hair band thing or yeah. the classic rock thing they might not get it because they they don't know they don't they don't know what is being laughed at kind of like with you know think of a you know if stand up comedians existed during the Elizabethan period they would be joking about whatever you know yeah. um, you know drinking mead and <laughs> and wearing tights or whatever I don't know M mutton humor was very common <laughs> yeah that, that was a big one right right, right. Um, you know lots of Catholic Protestant jokes yeah. or whatever um, where you know if you transported that let's say said Elizabeth comedian to our present time we wouldn't you know a lot of 
the audience would just be like, you know, wouldn't get it. I, th- I sometimes think it's, it's the comedian's job to point out things that we are uncomfortable about, perhaps even more so than the dramatist. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm thinking of, of Lenny Bruce or, or Richard Pryor or George Carlin, who were, for me, riotously funny, but we're, we're talking about serious issues yeah. that I don't think they could talk about today. I don't think those comedians would ever make it today in our politically correct society. Mm. Unfortunately. But for me, you know, Spinal Tap, uh, like the great comedies that I love, tell us, tells a story. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's people I think that are funny but I don't like their films. Like early Jim Carrey's Ace Ventura stuff, I, I, I couldn't watch it yeah. much because I, I didn't care about the character or the situation. He was, he was this mugging dude at the beginning and this mugging dude at the end, and his character never went anywhere. They hung a story on it, but it was peripheral. But the great comedies, you know, Buster Keaton, yeah, the General, right. this, Spinal Tap, I mean, there's a story here that unfolds. These guys are at the tail end of a career, hanging on to fame. They have internal strife. The the girl is comes in the girlfriend, and in the end, you know, when when he wanders back in and he waves him back on stage, and the triumphant return and the song returns to to his full power, uh, it, it's a story you root for. Yeah. And then they get their you know they, they end on a very positive note. They're heading to Japan. They're yeah. very big, and uh, that's a very Hitchcockian segue yeah. too, right? When the the concert goes from the reuniting concert to the yeah. Japanese concert. Yeah. And it's fantastic, and so I, anyway, my point was I, I like the fact that it tells a story. Yeah, it doesn't just give us comic scenarios to laugh at, and it never devolves into a silliness that some of Jim Carrey's movies do. Yeah, uh, Ace Ventura is silly. It might be good or bad, but I don't think um, for me anyway. Uh, Spinal Tap is never silly. No, no. no. Yeah, and of course, the dysfunction is also very interesting, too. You know, we're watching a band eventually become extremely dysfunctional. Yeah. And that's always entertaining, you know, the, the fact that they're arguing over uh, just, you know, crazy and, you know, insignificant things that, um, that just, just, make us, just make us laugh. The size of the bread in the dressing room. Yeah. That, yeah, exactly. The the deep I'd forgotten issue. about that. The bread. Yeah. yeah. And then he says, yeah. you know, I'm a, I'm a professional. I'll rise above it. <laughs> you, know. Uh, you know, it's kind of like Van Halen. You know, um, demanding whatever red M and M's. Yeah. Or right. certain M and M's taken out of their their bowl. Of, it's just it's it's so funny. Um, yeah. The scene that makes me cry with laughter, though, and there, there's not a lot of belly laugh moments here. This is all, you know, you laugh and you yeah. laugh. Is is the Harry Shearer's character, uh, Derek Smalls, at the airport, the metal detector, yeah. when he eventually has to pull the cucumber out of his wrapped in tin <laughs> aluminum foil? Yeah, yeah. Because you see it earlier yeah. in concert, they zoom in on his spandex yeah. crotch and, and yes. you just see it there, yeah. with the light glimmering up. Did you see the DVD menu? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did, and um, it's just all fantastic. Every every moment of it. Um, well, you told me in the story. You can elaborate on this. Um, so they do. They go on, and then Christopher Guest goes on to make this kind of film, and he does the A Mighty Wind, about yeah. the, the folk music, and again the same thing, affection but gentle prodding. And didn't you tell me that uh, they actually opened for themselves? They, yes. they went on tour as Spinal Tap, and they opened for themselves as the Folksmen, and were, yeah. were booed off the stage by the heavy metal band. Yeah, they were playing at whatever heavy metal festivals, and out come the Folksmen, <laughs> uh, who you know, and ninety-five percent of the audience have probably no idea yeah. what the heck is going on. They're going up there playing Old Joe's Place with a banjo and. 
Yeah, they were, they were often, you know, booed off the stage and, uh, you know. <laughs> That's guerrilla humor at its best there. Right. And, you know, they said that, you know, they, all right, you know, we'll reduce our set to five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so so do, the, do the crowds at those concerts, if they're playing with other, do they, are they actually taking Spinal Tap seriously as a, as a, as a serious band? Or is it I, I think some of them are in on the joke. A but meta joke? Yeah. Uh, I bet a great port, you know, percentage of them have no idea. Well, it goes back to your early point, Bill, about, you know, these songs are, uh, they could be real songs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know, Hellhole. Um, well, you t- I'm going to rock you. What's the one where he's talking about is his, his, his girl's large rear end, and then you compare that to Queen's Big fat bottom. Fat, right, yeah. yeah. Fat yeah. bottom yeah. girls. Or yeah, yeah. Any, if you ever read, ever read the lyrics to the Cars songs, they're so banal. Yeah. yeah. And, and yet, you know, they're, they're they have they're a popular band, distinctive yeah. band, made millions and, and yep. a lot of fans. And but you you listen to the lyrics of these songs, and they're really not better or worse than no. than what's out there. Big uh, the song Big Bottoms features three bass play. They all play bass <laughs> on that one track. Um, but uh, you gotta love you know the scene. I think one of the classic scenes is the um, you know Nigel showing. Rob Reiner, his guitar collection. Oh yeah, and uh, you know just the fact that some of them are, haven't even been played. They still have the tags, and then he shows up the amp that goes to eleven, which Marshall did produce an amp that indeed goes to eleven. <laughs> and since then, um, if you explore YouTube, you'll see that uh, Marshall did put out an amp with Nigel, air quotes again, Nigel Tufnell, promoting it. Sponsor, um, it's a sponsorship deal, uh, and the amp goes to twenty. So, by the way, uh, I'm not sure, I haven't looked this up, but I heard that um, the film Spinal Tap on IMDb is the only film that has a 11 rating. Is it true? I did look it up. It's true. It is true. The, the line that he speaks about, you, you know, this, this guitar has such sustain that you can yeah. just make the note go that He actually was quoting Les Paul, uh, but in, he paraphrases him. Yeah. Les Paul said that about one of his guitars, that you could go out and have... have have lunch and come back and it yeah. would still be play. Right, right. But for me, the brilliance of that scene is is the is the interplay between Rob Reiner's character and and Christopher Gaswell. Why don't they just make ten louder then? <laughs> well, this goes to eleven. You know, he just doesn't get it. <laughs> but this goes to eleven. We were speaking about cameos in the film. Uh, we forgot about Angelica Houston. She's the uh, the, des- the the woman who designs the uh, Stonehenge monument. Oh my God! You're right. I never. I. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, the, that happened because they uh, put inches instead of feet on a napkin. Um, and yeah, and I, for me, that's that's probably the, my my favorite scene. The Stonehenge monument coming. Oh, that's up there with um, the pods. Yeah, <laughs> Derek Smalls can't get out of his pod until the end, right? Yeah. <laughs> He gets caught in it, you know, his arm gets caught in it. Right. So. Everything that could go wrong goes wrong for this poor man. Yes, yes. Um, and did I, I'm not sure if we were rolling when we talked about the uh, Jack the Ripper uh, musical that they were working on, you know, Saucy Jack. <laughs> I heard, um, again, i got to look these things up, but I heard there, there was a, uh, or there exists, um, an opening overture to... The Jack the Ripper musical somewhere in uh, 
iTunes or something. So that's that's definitely something. To that would be worth a uh, <laughs> looking into. It would be no less ridiculous than yeah. some musicals that yeah. That well, you exist and Andrew, you had made a point earlier about the the art the artist and, and there's that other scene where um, um, uh, Tufnell is playing the combination of Mozart and Bach piece that he yeah. wrote. And, <laughs> and, but then he says, you know, it's very, that's lovely. What's it called? Is it Lick My Love Pump? Lick My Love Pump, yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're back down, too. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and he's really playing the piano there. He's, yeah. you know, they're all talented musicians. It's Christopher Guest especially, he, you know, he, he plays the banjo, the uh, mandolin, the piano, as you can see, a guitar, and he's, he's a legit player. He's playing it in D minor, the saddest mm-hmm. of all keys. <laughs> and they have to know the music in order to, to play it in the way that they're doing. They, the, these guys know the music backwards and forwards. Yep. I mean that, and then again, if you watch Mighty Wind with the folks, when the same thing with the with the folk music, they get it so spot on. Yeah. Uh, that it could very well be actual folk tunes, um, and they they do another piece, not in the movie that you you showed me. In, in uh, A Mighty Wind on the uh, DVD extras. They do an early 60s video, The Children of the Sun. <laughs> and with, with in one scene, it's so bad, it dissolves to the exact same shot. <laughs> but the, 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 I did this experiment with my class because the lyrics to Children of the Sun are, are so subtle that nothing happens. You know, so they, they have lyrics like, you know, I, I move towards you, you don't move away. And not the whole and so I, I actually did that with my class one time, and I gave them three song lyrics and said, tell me which one in here is not a seriously written song. And, and they were not able to tell. Wow. Well, it wasn't due to them not being smart kids. Yeah. It was just that it's so subtle. Yeah. And, and some, some stuff is, is so pretentious that you just can't sort it out. Yeah, that is another well-done parody right there of 60s television production production value. Oh, that makes me laugh every time. But that, then the one here that you did, the give me some money, and then the, the listen to the flower. People, yeah, the same, you know, shot in the same style, and and they get it so right. This is so. Listen to what the flower people say. Listen, it's getting louder yeah. every day. <laughs> listen, it's like a bolt out of the blue. Listen, it could be calling now for you. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a 60s song. I mean, it's just... Yeah. Right, right. I was listening to one coming up here, The Association, a band that I, yeah. I like, but they have a song called Requiem for a Bullfighter. And the lyrics are, you know, um, the, there was a question on his lips as he died, and they never say what the question is. And so it could be almost anything, anything I guess. Yeah. And, uh, if, if you really <laughs> listen to the lyrics, you're like, they're, they're not making any no. valid point here. The second verse of um, the Flower People song, it's not in the movie, but if you actually get the album, um, which I do have, uh, <laughs> the second verse the second verse goes, uh, listen, it's like a Mozart symphony, and then it goes, dun, 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 and it goes back into the song. <laughs> which, speaking of albums, reminds me, um, the uh, Smell the Glove, you know, the their album, the the entire it's entirely black, black right yeah um, it, you know obviously it's kind of like a uh, a reference to what uh, the the white album yeah you know um, I don't know if any other band back during that time put out such a you know a plain cover that I mean what's funny is later on Metallica actually Metallica put, right actually yeah put a black album um, after Spinal Tap yeah. oh yeah oh, yeah. yeah. Oh. 
you know, um, it, wasn't it a mistake in the movie? Like, wasn't it like a? It was a mistake. Yeah. Well, no, they they. I think because they didn't like the original cover, the record cover. Yeah. Okay. It was. Um, it and was then sexist. They, yeah. And then Nigel sexist. goes, "What's what's wrong with being sexy?" Yeah. <laughs> sexist. They were, they were shoving. She's chained up like a dog uh, with a collar neck, and there's a male holding a leash and shoving a glove yeah. in her face, and one of them just does this muttering. In the original, that wasn't a glove. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you should see what they wanted to put. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Right. You know, and, uh, you know, as someone says, I think it was the manager, uh, Ian said, you know, it's the record company thinks it's sexist, sexist, and Nigel says, what's wrong with being sexy? And he says, Sex is sexist, and Nigel says something like, see, you put that little twist on it, it changes everything. <laughs> Speaking of Ian, so I guess there's an anecdote about him, and then this is on Internet Movie Database, where he, he was, his career was not going anywhere, and he was, he was suicidal, and he was going to, to end it when he got cast in this role. And this movie was so much fun to do that he said he decided. Wow! To, really? Yeah, wow! And and that's uh, that's on Internet Movie Database. I'll credit that for reading about it. But uh, you know, uh, just the you know he said they had such a good time yeah. that, that it reaffirmed uh, his life and his career for him. And I think he's perfectly cast for that. Oh, yeah. I, he's you know he's uh, that sort of quasi Peter Grant from Led Zeppelin uh, <laughs> manager. Um, right. That's almost larger than the band itself. Yeah. And, yeah. and he carries around the polo mallet. Yeah. <laughs> right. Comes yeah, in the end, when the, the, the boys are reunited on stage, yeah. and he just kind of looks down at the girlfriend, and yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we win. It's a boys' club. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, of course, I love the, uh, the scene at the Air Force Base with all the... The interference because of the wireless. <laughs> Is that Fred Willard who yeah. plays the? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. who's in a lot of Christopher Guest's yeah. uh, films. Yeah, sure. yeah. So, and he plays that that character so you know the dry sense of humor and uh, if you're ever in I don't know wherever he says you want to check out a really good mom and pop band. Uh, I, the last thing that cracks me up is when uh, Janine comes into the picture and she draws a picture a Zodi a picture. Uh, what is it like a zodiac? The zodiac version, very, yeah, of yeah. All of them, and he, she hands them out. <laughs> They're all looking at her like, "What the heck is this?" That was a very uh, much a slap at kiss, I guess. Uh, that's what uh, I thought yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. Well, Gene Simmons claims that a lot of the film is based on actual kiss experiences. I don't know how valid that point is. Um, I'm sure that there's a lot of common experiences. Like yeah. my understanding is getting lost backstage is not an uncommon thing. Right, trying right. to find the stage. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Detroit. <laughs> and Gene Simmons being Gene Simmons, he probably wants to cash in on some of the, uh, <laughs> exactly. uh, on the uh, royalties or yeah, something. I'm sure he'd be proud of it. Yeah. Proud of all, uh, all So, I think, uh, what do you think? I think it's great. We're coming to you in Dublin. <laughs> Dublin sound. I just want to say, folks who listen to this, if this is not a film that's been on your radar... Uh, it should be. It's yeah. it's it's terrific, um, yeah. and, it, and it's a film that, that pays off over and over again. Sure, is. it's um, anyway. We need to laugh as much as humanly possible yeah. in this day and age. So, um, Spinal Tap is a good place to start, <laughs> definitely. And I feel you know, as, as a film studies teacher, sometimes I say to myself, "Man, I'm showing such heavy films, uh, and just one after another, they're all just." Incredibly, uh, you know, they're profound, obviously, and wonderful. But sometimes you just got to have some, yeah, some comedy in there, some laughs, and this is, this is one of the best. 
and it still lands. I've shown this in my class, uh, and thanks to you, I've shown a mighty wind and waiting for Guffman. And they, they land. The kids get them, uh, you know, get, even without the context yeah. of growing up with the hair bands and all. Uh, I think they, they, they know more than we think they do about yeah. classic rock, which is which is great. You know, sometimes you'll see a young person walking around with uh, whatever, like Led Zeppelin or ACM yeah. C-shirt, and, you know, they, uh, you know, I think they still... They still know some of these uh, rock icons and what they're what they're all about. So, and if you have aspirations to be an actor, this is a terrific film to to watch just to see. As as you said, Walter earlier, you know, you have to have timing to be in comedy, and, and that's. I think you're. I agree with you 100. percent I think it's harder to do comedy than it is to do yep. anything else. And the three main members of Spinal Tap not British. Yeah, <laughs> but they have it down. Well, they pull it off. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the archive, uh, the so-called archival footage of them as kids when they're talking about their origins, it's, it's clearly pointing to uh, Lennon McCartney. Yeah. When they were young yeah. and uh, how they their first the first their first band name was the Originals. <laughs> the new Originals, right? <laughs> and then they changed it to the Regulars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we only I know we have to sign off. I think you were rapping, but uh, the. Uh, we only made a passing mention to the uh, parade of drummers that go through Spinal oh, yeah. Tap, which is a great running joke. Spontaneous combustion is a, you know, it's not very widely reported <laughs> phenomenon. You know, <laughs> dozens of people every year spontaneously combust. <laughs> so, uh, great. Well, thank you for listening, uh, everyone. Uh, again, this is the Classroom Critics Podcast, and uh, we'd love if you go on to. Uh, iTunes and, and rate us and go on uh, to our Facebook page. Just look up Classroom Critics, Critics Podcast on Facebook and uh, chime in. Let us know what you think of, uh, of this film. Let's get the discussion going. And uh, we'd love if you can join us next time. And be sure to listen to this episode on 11. <laughs> <laughs>